This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, if, uh, if you weren't already thinking this, uh, we are going to be in John chapter 13 today. And we'll also go back to Matthew 22, which is where uh, we started last week. Uh, we, we feel that it's important to remind ourselves as a church, as members, as anyone checking the church out, right? Like, who, who are we as a church? Why in the world are we here? Um, if an organization, if a group doesn't have, have a purpose, a, a reason for, for existing, then it's not really going to go anywhere. It's not going to accomplish the goal, right? And so um, we as a church, we exist. We are here. We are continuing for as long as the Lord will have us. We exist to love God, love others, and lead people to the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. Uh, the most important thing we can do, Jesus made this really clear, black and white, like there's really not a whole lot of debate. He was asked, Jesus, what's most important? And he answered, the most important, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Um, love God with your whole selves, with, with every part of your body to intentionally give Him glory and praise and, and, and everything that we can to, to exalt His name. That, that everything we think is to be thought in a way that honors God. That when we speak, we, we speak in a way that, that honors and exalts God. When we, we act, we do things, we act in a way that's going to honor God. That Jesus says, take every part of your life, your, your words, your thoughts, your actions, your feelings, and and choose to direct them in a way that most honors God and exalts God. And so, so really, if we wanted to boil everything down, we could literally go through everything. Paul even says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. We could go through everything and say, okay, am I doing this in a way that most honors God? If yes, go. If no, then, then we could then start to ask the question, okay, what would most honor God? Change this, stop this, start this, right? And so eventually that just becomes a habit and a pattern, but that's, that's our greatest commandment. As a church, that's what we want to do more than anything is love God. But then Jesus says in Matthew 22, which is where we read from last week, that the second greatest commandment is similar to the first. So Jesus says in Matthew 22, right? The, the first is, is love the Lord your God. And a second is like this. He says in verse 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the first and greatest commandment is love God. The second, and great, second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that the two really go hand in hand. And in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments, love God love others, depend all the law and prophets. So I don't know if you remember last week, we mentioned there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then you have the book of the prophets. And, and, and Jesus is saying, if we love God and if we love others, everything else hangs off of that. If we do those two things right, everything else flows downstream. That, that we will do everything else that God has called us to do. And so I just want to take a second and, and hit pause. If you are a Christian, or if you're thinking about being a Christian, Jesus is very clear 
that yes, we're saved by faith, but our faith in Jesus then moves us to act. Real faith moves us to act. And Jesus is saying, if you're a Christian, then the actions that we're called to have by faith in Jesus is to love God and love others. Those aren't an option. We don't get to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and trust you, but mm, this love others, I'm going to go ahead and decide not to. No, thanks. I'm going to opt out of that one. It's not an option. These are the commandments given to us from Jesus. And so just stop. Oh, I knocked down a water bottle. Cool. (laughs) Just stop. Just, Corey, stop. (sighs) Jesus tells us the greatest commandments. If you're a Christian, this is what we have surrendered our lives to. It's not an option. Love God and love others. And Jesus, he says here in John 13, where we, we read, he, he gives a little further even elaboration to that commandment of loving others. He says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus takes that second commandment to love your neighbor, and he says, Hey, just as I have loved you, that is how you are to love one another. That is how you are to love your neighbor. So let's talk more about this second commandment. It's the second part of our our mission, our purpose. We exist as a church to love God and to love others, just as Jesus commanded. He tells us here that we're to love others just as he has loved us. So our command in verse 34, love one another, that we read in Matthew 22, to love your neighbor as yourself. That, That word love is the same Greek word agape. Now, the definition of agape is a love that intentionally spends its life seeking to make others' lives better regardless of condition or expectation. The, The agape love that we have for others, that kind of love intentionally spends its life seeking to make others' lives better regardless of the conditions that they bring to the table or expectation of a return. So Jesus, he says, love one another. Let's take that word love. It's the word agape. Let's remove it. And Jesus is saying, hey, you follower of me, you are to intentionally spend your life seeking to make the lives of others better, regardless of any condition or any expectation of return. That's the command that Jesus is giving us. Now, for us as Christians, we believe that the best for someone, the, the, the better for them, the, their good, their happiness, their greatest joy is found in them knowing and following Jesus. It's found in the presence of God. And so when we look at people, we believe the best way we can love them is for us to do anything and everything to help them see and know and love and follow God more because we believe that is ultimately where they're going to have the best life, right? It's, it's holiness, not happiness. But, but if we get holiness, then happiness will follow, right? And so it's we believe that the best love we can give someone, the best way we can seek their betterment 
is to help them help people know and love and follow God. That is the best that that is offered. So we think about this love, this agape love, this intentional choice is, will there be feelings like good emotions? Maybe, maybe not, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the best thing we can give to somebody is, is is a challenging word, is confronting them on something in their life that is harming them, right? So it's not always easy. It doesn't always feel good. Will there be attraction in this type of love? Physical attraction, romantic attraction? Maybe, but very probably not. Yet we're still called to love and to seek their good because agape love is a love of the will. It's a love of choice. No one is stopping you and I from giving this love to another. It doesn't matter if we have you know, positive, attractive feelings for them or if we feel happy with them or whatever. This is a love that you and I get to choose to give towards another. We get to choose whether we're going to seek the betterment of their lives or not. That's that's something that we get to choose. And Jesus tells us, hey, I want you to love. I want you to agape. I want you to spend your life seeking the, the betterment, the best, the good of others, just as I have done for you. So as we take this command to love others, to seek their best, to seek their good, as we take that command to choose to give give of ourselves for their their preference, for their good, we ask, okay, how do we do that? Jesus says, watch how I loved. Love how I loved. Watch what I did and, and I will show you how to love like this. I will show you what this looks like. And so... How did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love these disciples that he was talking to in John 13? Well, let's let's think back to the context that we just read in chapter 13. Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet. Now, We've probably heard about this, and maybe we've even seen this in some weddings or things where, where you know, a new husband and wife will want to demonstrate service by washing you know, their spouse's feet. But come on, those feet, are, those feet are probably manicured. No, pedicured. Pedicured is for the feet. Manicured is for the hands, right? Those feet are probably pedicured and cleaned up. You know, Not what's going on here in John chapter 13. This is first century Middle East. There's no concrete sidewalks for people to walk on. There's no asphalt for for people to to walk on. There's no cars with closed doors that you can stay inside to to drive on. If you're going from point A to point B, you're outside and you're walking in the dusty, dirty, muddy, donkey manure-y, you know, grassy fields. Like you're walking in that context and you don't have closed-toed shoes on. You don't have, you know, boots or something. You've got open-toed sandals. And so when you get from point A to point B after walking in the dirt with open-toed sandals, mix in a little bit of feet sweat in there, those are some nasty feet, just straight nasty. I mean, you got like mud just caked onto those feet, man. And feet are not pleasant to begin with, much less in, in that context. And so what was traditional in a, in a setting like this is that when you got to a guest house or, or somewhere to eat, that the the owner of the house or the owner of the establishment would most often hire a servant that would wash your feet. If you were a guest somewhere, 
most often your feet would be washed by a servant, by someone whose job, whose paycheck meant that they would wash your feet. It was your right as a guest to not have to bend down and dirty your hands or your clothes as you wash your feet. There was somebody paid and employed to do that. Well, for whatever reason in this context, there, there wasn't somebody. There wasn't someone there to, to wash the feet. And so most likely they, they would have just had dirty feet or they would have washed it themselves and gotten themselves all dirty before they ate. But Jesus, he, he actively seeks their good by humbling himself, by stooping down, by grabbing their dirty, nasty feet in his hands and washing their feet. As a guest of this, this place, this house, Jesus had every right to have his feet washed. And, and among this crew of people, he certainly had every right to not wash their feet. If you're looking at an org chart, Jesus is at the top. All of these dudes are following him, right? They should be washing his feet. And yet Jesus, he humbles himself and he submits himself beneath his friends in order to prefer them, in order to seek their good and their well-being. And he bends down, he grabs this bowl of water, and he pours water over their feet. And then it says that he grabbed a towel and he started to wash their feet clean. Now you can imagine as Jesus is washing their feet, it's not like he's spraying it down with a hose from a distance. Jesus is holding their feet in his hands. He's getting their dirt, their filth, their mud all over him. Man, I give when my kids were little, I'd give them a bath 10 out of 10 times. Man, I'm coming out of that, that bathroom wet with some soap all over me because it's impossible to wash somebody else and not get it on you. But Jesus, man, he doesn't stay at a distance. He he gets in the mess of people's lives in order to wash them clean and to prefer them and to actively, intentionally seek their good. But this, this this picture of Jesus washing their feet clean of the, the dirt was a, a foreshadow of what was to come. That in short time, Jesus would voluntarily go to the cross and he would be hung on a cross to suffer the punishment of their sin. That just how he washed their feet clean of dirt, that on the cross and by his blood pouring out, he would wash their sins clean from their lives. This was a foreshadow of a greater love that he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus would say that greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus was foreshadowing the love and the actively seeking the betterment of their lives. Here's what we see in the way that Jesus loved. Jesus spent his life seeking to make the lives of those around him better. Jesus gave up his life. He poured himself out seeking to make the lives of others better. This is agape love. It's a love that intentionally chooses to spend one's life in order to make another's better. 
that gives of itself in order to seek the good and well-being and happiness of another. And this is what Jesus did for the disciples, and this is what Jesus did for us. And Hebrews 12 says that it was his joy. It was the joy set before him that he went to the cross, that, that his joy was found in loving. His joy was found in agape. His joy was found in spending his life in order to make the lives of others better. And if it's his joy, it surely can be our joy too, right? So this is the love that Jesus models. This is the love that he calls us to. Jesus says, hey, you want to follow me? Great. Love God. Intentionally give your life to glorify him, to make his name great and love your neighbor as yourself. Love others just as I have loved you. Intentionally spend your life, give your life to seeking the betterment of others, the good and happiness and pleasure of others. So if you're hearing this and you're like, okay, I am to love others, to, to give my life for the good of others, who, who do I do that for? Is it everybody? Is it, is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it, is it the people that live in the homes next door to us? Like, who is my neighbor? In Luke chapter 7, I want to read some verses to you. Luke chapter 7, Jesus says this. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6. He said in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. <clears throat> and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus gives us the context of who we are to actively show love to, who we are to actively do good towards. He, he assumes that we're going to love those who love us in return. He assumes those we're going to, we're, that we're going to do good to those who, who do good to us. He says that's, that's normal. Everybody does that. Jesus says the, the scope of who we are to love, who we are to agape, just as he has agaped us, is even to the one who is our enemy. Even to the one who, who hates us and curses us and does us harm, we are to actively do good to. We are to actively love and agape. That means every person, no matter who they are or what their story is or what they look like or where they come from or what they've done to us, we are called to love just as Jesus has loved us. 
And the incredible thing of God is that he doesn't call us to do anything that he hasn't first done for us in Jesus. Right? Let's to remember John 13, where Jesus says to love just as he loved us, and he, he had just washed the disciples' feet. Do you know who was included in that foot washing? Judas, the, the very one who in short order would get up from that table to go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus washed his feet. He did good to those who hated him. On the cross, Hung there with nails through his wrists and his feet, Jesus looks down at the ones with the hammer in their hand who had just put in there, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. On the cross, he, he prays for and seeks the best of the ones who put him there. Let's make this a little more personal. Romans 5.8 says that while you were sinners, while I was a sinner, that's when Christ died for me. Colossians 1 says that we were hostile towards him. We were enemies of God, and yet God moves near to us in love. God has shown us kindness and love while we were hostile and sinful against him. God has loved us us while we were his enemies. Therefore, he tells us in the same way that he loved us, go and love others. Go and love those who are easy to love and who return your love and go and love those who never return your love and never do good to you. That's the love that Jesus has for us and that's the love that Jesus calls us to. Now, as we're, we're listening to this and, and we're starting to grasp the magnitude, you may be thinking, how do I possibly do that? You may be thinking of a person in your life that has hurt you so deeply and has never even addressed or acknowledged the fact that they hurt you. Heck, they may be proud that they hurt you. You may be thinking of someone like that and thinking, how do I love them? And we're going to answer that question. But before we get to the how, I want to talk about why real quick. Why should we love like this? We already talked about that because that's how Jesus loved us. That as recipients of this love, we are called to give that love the same way. That it would be foolish and absurd and incredibly arrogant and selfish to receive that love, yet not give that love in return. It would be so prideful to not see that we were his enemies and he loved us, therefore we love others, right? We've already talked about that. But I want to talk about the fact that Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. In 1 John chapter 4, John says it is impossible to love God and hate your neighbor. The point that Jesus makes, the point that John makes is to love God is to love our neighbor. To not love our neighbor is to not love God. The way that we love our neighbor, the way that we love others, the way that we love those around us is how we are loving God. So if we're like, man, I love God so much. I went to church and I was singing those songs and it felt powerful and my, my hands are up, and my eyes are closed and I was just moving by the Spirit. 
and yet you don't have love for the person next to you or the person down the street or the person that that cut you off in the car on the way there, then God is saying, you're lacking love for me because the way you love other people is the way you love me. Now, how is that so? Why so? Because when we love someone, we love what they love. I don't, I don't care for cats. Not one bit. Like, I would be fine if... I like tigers and lions and cheetahs. Like, they're cool. Jaguars, they're cool. Um, but the house cat, like... Well, yeah, no. They're, I, I don't care for them at all. You know who does love cats, though? My daughter, Macy. She has a cat named Coda. And she loves that cat, Coda. I... She might love that cat more than she loves me right now. It's fine. Working on that. She loves that cat. I love Coda because I love Macy. Right? Because I love Macy, I love what she loves. And because I, I care for my daughter, I care for the things she cares about. Spouses. If we're going to love our spouse... We're going to learn to love the things they love. If you're dating someone, you're engaged, you want to be sometimes, you just want to have a good friendship, right? We, we learn to love the things that the people we love, love. Right? We learn to care about the things that they care about because we love those people. And the Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If I am going to love God, I'm going to love the things that God loves and God loves the world. Therefore, I'm going to love the world because I love God. To love God is to love others. To love others is to love God. You cannot separate those two commandments. That's why it's so important to love others because it is our love for God. Also, we love others because spending our lives to love others as Jesus loved us is not something that we begrudgingly have to do. It's something that we get to do. It was Jesus' joy to go to the cross and to love others. If it's His joy, it can be our joy as well. That, that when we love others as Jesus loves others, that we become like Jesus and the fullness of life is being in his presence. The fullness of life is being near to God. And so the, the more that we know God and love the things he loved and the more that we walk in the ways that he walked, the more that we move into his presence and we gain more and more and more of knowledge and understanding of him. And that is greater than anything else in the world. Therefore, to love like he loves, even when it's hard, is for our good and our joy. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. And so now that we know what God tells us to do, to love others and to love our neighbors, and we know why, because in loving others, we are loving God. And because we are called to love others in the same way that he loved us, even we are called to love difficult people in the same way that God loved difficult me and difficult you, and, and it is for our good. How do we do this? Because it seems surely impossible in many ways. And it is. It is impossible. On our own, in our own strength, it is impossible. But praise be to God, he offers to give us a new strength. 
He offers to give us a new nature. He offers to give us His Spirit of love to enable and empower us to love as He loved. In John 15, verse 5, just a couple verses over, Jesus says, I am the vine, I am the, the tree trunk, so to say. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gives an image of, of a vine and a branch. If, you know, we don't have a whole lot of vines around us, you know, so we can say a tree and a branch. And he's like, hey, I, I am the, the tree trunk and you're the branches. Take the branch away from the tree trunk and the branch isn't going to do much. It's actually just going to shrivel up and die. But leave the branch connected to the source of life, connected to the source of energy and vibrancy, and that branch will grow and grow and grow and produce great fruit. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to produce spiritual fruit, if you want to, to love as I loved, then abide in me, remain in me, and my love will move into you, and you will be able to love as I have loved. It's impossible for us to love on our own, but when we abide in Christ, we remain in Him. By His Spirit, we receive His love, and we overflow with His love, and we actually are able to love all people how He has loved us. It's just a matter of if we will. But His Spirit enables us to do it if we abide in Him. And so that is the most important thing. Listen to me. If you are serious about loving God and loving others, you will abide in Christ. Because Jesus makes it incredibly clear that apart from abiding in Him, we're not going to make it. We're not going to do so well. But if we want to, if we truly do, then we will abide in Christ and we'll receive His benefits and His strength and His love to actually go and do likewise. And so we... we we carve out space and time to, to read His words and to listen to Him and to commune with Him, to abide with Him. When I sit and I read His words and I, I think on them and I meditate on them and I read them as a conversation, God's speaking to me and I talk back to Him like, what does it mean for me to abide in you, God? I want to do that, but how do I do that, right? When I have that conversation with God, I'm abiding in Him and I'm receiving his spirit, it's growing and it's building in me and his love is building in me to overflow to others. And so I, I abide in him with his word and in prayer. I, I immerse my life with his message. Right? I, I fill my mind and my heart with, with the message of his truth and his love for me by, by the things that I watch and listen to and people that I allow to speak into me. I commit to His community, to His church, to being around His message so that I can abide in Jesus, so that I can actually love others well. I'm telling you, if you want to love others, you have to abide in Jesus. We have to. So that's the first thing we do is we abide in Christ. We love by His love in us, not by our own strength. So we've got to tap into that source of love. The second thing we do if we're going to love others well is we've got to care for yourself. Remember in Matthew 22, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're called to love ourselves, to care for ourselves, to, to look after ourselves. But listen, not so that it ends on ourselves, but so that we can be the best version to give ourselves away to others. 
I, I take care of myself. I take care of my mental health and, and my, my physical health and my emotional health. Not so that I can be, you know, the, the best person for myself, but so that I can be the best person for you. If I'm mentally depleted in my mental health, I'm letting it fall apart. I'm not going to be mentally strong to give to you, right? If my physical health is falling apart, if I can't, you know, move around or, or, or do what I, you know, am able to do, if I neglect my own body, then I'm cutting short my life and my ability to give to you. And so we care for ourselves, we care for the, the body and the life that God gave us so that we can use our body, our life, our mind, our strength to love others well. And so we are called to care for ourselves, not so that it ends on ourselves, but so that we are the best version to give to others. And so are you caring for yourself? Are you taking care of your spiritual health? Right? Are you surrounding yourself by Christian community? Are you surrounding yourself by with his word, are you caring for your soul? Are you caring for your emotional health? Right? Are, are, you, are you taking care of your, your emotions? Are you, <coughs> are you talking to others? Are you seeing a counselor? Are you, you communicating with others? Are you taking care of your physical health? Are you eating well? Are you exercising? Are you doing the things that will make yourself better so that you can give yourself away? So much of us, we just neglect our own health and and it's others that suffer. So do what you can do to care for yourself so that you can give yourself away. And then the last thing, we abide in Jesus, we care for ourselves so that we can give ourselves away, and we intentionally and actively put practices in our lives that will let us love others. You are not just going to casually wake up one day and be like, dude, I'm just killing it with loving others. I don't know how it happened, but man, over here, over here, I'm just loving everybody. Right? We're going to have to intentionally take steps that put us in environments and practices to love others. So as a church, we have intentional ways that we believe we can take steps to abide in Christ, to care for ourselves, and to love others. The first is community groups. These are places throughout the week where we intentionally gather together to share life and grow in faith together. It is a place to build real belonging and community. We are all created for community. We all long to have people that we belong with. And so if we're going to love others, we are going to create those places for others to belong with us. We're going to create community for others to belong and for us to belong. So community groups are those, those places where the, the church gets smaller and we can actually know people and belong and care for one another. One of the biggest reasons I hear people who will leave a church, they say, man, I just wasn't cared for. Like no, no one noticed me or cared for me. And the majority of the time, they're not really involved. And I'm like, well, it's really, once you get above 10 people, it's really tough. You got to start making things smaller so that we can see each other and know and care and love. And so community groups are a place to build community and to create places of welcoming and hospitality for others. Are you in a community group? We have several that, that meet and we are praying and looking to start some new ones. And so are you in a community group? Do you want to maybe start a community group? Let's talk about that. The second thing that we as a church really push towards are discipleship groups. And really discipleship groups is something more for self-care. 
you need to be in a discipleship group. Now, a discipleship group is one or two other people who know you really well, who you are intentionally and vulnerably exposing every corner of your life so that there's no room for darkness to hide. Man, sin grows in the darkness. Mold grows in the darkness. You want to be corrupted from the inside out? You want the devil to steal, kill, and destroy from the inside out? Well, keep some secrets. Hide and tuck some stuff away that you don't want anybody to know about that you can't imagine how this would go down, the shame or the guilt, and that the devil will make sure to destroy you from the inside out that way. And so a discipleship group is where we're coming together and we're saying, man, this is scary, but I have to expose this to the light. And we open our lives up to the love and care of a couple others. And so we meet together and we share about our lives and we open the scriptures and we let God you know, tell us how to live and how to be. And so that's what a discipleship group does. And then we have opportunities to serve your church, to, to give back, to tangibly get your hands in the game and serve and love those around us. I mean, we think of Sundays as kind of like a family gathering, a family reunion, a family meal. Right? And, and we're all coming to the table to, to be together as one family and ultimately to, to praise and sing and love and, and be with our Father together. And if you've ever been to any other person's house or meal or whatever, somebody had to cook that food. Somebody had to prepare. Somebody had to set the table. Somebody has to clean up. Right, And so I mean, to be a part of the church is to grab on and everybody is participating. Everybody is serving and loving others by serving in the church. And so do you have a place in the church that you're serving, that you can serve your family in? And the last thing that we're starting really soon are equip and development classes. Again, this is something that's more towards self-care. None of us have arrived. We're all needing to grow and to learn and to, to develop. And so from 9 to 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, that's going to be our, our class time. That's going to be times that we have different classes where we can all continue to grow and to develop. And if you have a job, you're most likely doing ongoing development and learning and growth, right? Because we've never fully arrived. It's the same thing with our, our souls and our spiritual lives. We've got to continue to grow and to develop. And so starting on February 21st, that's the, our first one, and that one is with Fostering Hope. It's a Fostering Hope informational class, how to partner with our new partnership, Fostering Hope, to, to help love and serve children in need. That's on February 21st. And then we'll have other classes following, How Do I Hear God's Voice?, That'll be one of the classes, a workshop, right? Where we're just going to talk about how do, we, how do we know and hear God's voice? How do we make the most out of discipleship group? Right? How, how do we get into discipleship group and make the most of it? Um, a disciple-making cohort. How do we help, how, how do we know how to make disciples in everyday life and help others do that as well? So those are just some of the classes coming up. We have a, another book club starting, and we're going to read through J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And so there's different ways where we can develop ourselves so that we can give the best version of ourselves to others. And so as a church, just to wrap this up, we exist to love God, love others, and lead people to the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about that last part, leading people to the fullness of life found in Jesus. As a church, to, to help us love God, 
We encourage people to commit to Sunday worship gatherings, to coming together to worship with the family of God, to commit to prayer gatherings, to praying with one another, to, to commune with God together. And we, we invite people to give generously through tithes and offerings so that we can hold on loosely and see the faithfulness of God in our lives. To love others, we encourage people to be a part of a community group and to be a part of a discipleship group and to serve somewhere on Sundays and to continue to be developed and equipped in these classes. Look, we're never going to do this perfectly. We're never going to love God and love others perfectly. But the message of the Bible is this, that you and I walked so far away from God by our sin and that Jesus came to fix what we broke and to reconcile us back into a relationship with God. If Jesus can restore that relationship between us and God, Jesus can he can restore relationships between us and others. He, when we repent and confess of our sins, that, that Jesus, He can help us to love better. And when we fall down and mess up, He can help restore and reconcile. And so, love God, love others. Lead people to the fullness of life found in Jesus. That's what we're about, and that's what we want to do as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us first. Thank you, Jesus, for spending your life in order to make ours better, to forgive our sins, and to give us new life with you. Would you inspire and compel us by your love that we would love others as you have loved us. I want to invite you to take a second and listen for God's voice. Just be still, be quiet, ask him to speak to you through his word. What does he want to tell you from this commandment to love others? Just as he has loved you to love others, what is he telling you? to believe, to, to change, to love. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.